Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. Well, we talked uh, about these hindrances to making disciples, and I think this is one um, that really challenges pastors, leaders particularly, because pastors, we feel the pressure of being successful in ministry, right? Yes. We have to produce, and it's not even our fault because of the business metrics we've used in the church today. Pastors need to produce quickly. And so when we go to the convention, for example, you know, you go to your own convention, People aren't interested in how many disciples you're making. I've rarely had anybody, if ever, Chris said, hey, tell me how many people are making disciples who make disciple makers. Right. What are they asking us? How many people are you running? How many people? How many are you running? How many decisions did you have? Now, what, where do we get that from? What is, uh, what is running mean? I think, honestly, I think we get that from the business world. I, I don't want people running yeah. away. I want people running in. <laughs> How many, how many, how many running? Running? What is this, a gym where we yeah. have a fitness company? But anyway, the, the point is uh, discipleship takes time. Right. And if you put unrealistic expectations on your disciple making ministry, you're going to fail every time. Right. How many times have we been in conferences and people or, or just trainings and people have said, uh, uh, Robbie, I love all this, but how often or how long it's going to take me to see results? Like right. how quick will I see people make disciples? Yeah. That's the wrong question. It's a microwavable mindset. What we need to do is move from the microwave mindset to the crockpot recipe, right? Right. Takes a little time. I, I just bought a Traeger grill. You familiar with this? I, I am familiar because I've eaten from the grill. You've eaten. <laughs> the Traeger grill is like the green egg for the lazy man. That's <laughs> you see the green egg, uh, like the green egg makes you feel like you're a professional cook because right. you got to fool with the, uh, you know, the exhaust system and the way the smoke yeah, comes out. I don't right. have time for that. I want to put a bunch of wood pellets in. Walk away. And walk come away. Come back. Heaven in the form of a steak. Exactly. But you could tell the difference, Chris. I know this. Between a microwavable steak. Oh, yeah. And a Traeger cooked, long, marinated, simmering steak. Absolutely. I'm getting hungry right now. <laughs> I was going to say, it's only breakfast time, and yet steak sounds oddly I know, but here's the deal. Let's be honest. It's worth the wait. And so, pastors, you need to understand, you cannot apply business-as-usual metrics to your disciple-making process, meaning it's not going to happen overnight. You need to be okay with that. You need to give yourself the time uh, and, and just the wherewithal to understand and let this process work. So unrealistic expectations will kill a disciple-making movement. So that's the, the first two we covered the last few weeks, untraveled territory, unknown destination, and then unrealistic expe expectations will absolutely kill it. And one final thing I think that could be said about that, and maybe you can elaborate on it, is when we constantly tell our uh, church staff, key volunteers, the win is this number. Oh, the win is the, and I know you've have a, a story you've told about how you elevated those things, attendance, giving, um, decisions. And you saw, and uh, go, go ahead and talk about the, the guy in your church who, who really was down because you hadn't hit those metrics, even though great things were happening. Well, and yeah, and let me say one thing before I say that, because this is a great point. The, the challenge is this, is pastors feel the pressure of performance, right? But what happens is, 
you will wear your people out. If you honestly ask your staff, and I've talked to staff members who have been in that kind of environment, high pressure, metric driven, how many doors have you knocked? How many times have you shared the gospel? How many people have you talked to? How many numbers from this camp? How many numbers from that summer? Your people, you will wear your staff members out. And I think, Chris, that may be one of the reasons that we're saying burnout in the ministry. Oh, People, ju- I, we had a guy listen last week. Tell him about just, this email. Just got, yeah, we, we got a. Uh, it's actually a text response. I think text wasn't response. It? Yeah, and uh, it was just a guy saying that um, the challenges he's facing in burnout. He's actually saying it's 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 maybe less to do with how hard he's working, and more to do with the fact that. Uh, not the people, but the staff, the leadership are unwilling to embrace a biblical metric for discipleship or a biblical model for discipleship because they're so focused on events, getting people in the door, filling the room, seeing budget hit a certain level. Again, all these business elements, which we're not saying it's bad to have smart metrics for ministry. We're simply saying if that is the end goal to achieve that number, to be one more than last year, one more than last week, one dollar more than last time, uh, obviously we've tossed out the gospel, I think. Well, and here's what this guy said. He was the discipleship pastor at his church and he texted us and said, I'm quitting and I'm getting out of the ministry. Remember this guy? Because he said, I am burnt out on the numbers. Yeah. And see, we're not we're not against numbers. I, I want to pastor a church to reach thousands and thousands of people like everybody. We're not saying numbers are not important. Right. But what we're saying is that's not where you stop. Right. And, and, yeah. and what happens is if numbers are the end, now watch this, the means of how you get there will justify it. Which means, yeah, and you and you do wonky and and fun and crazy funky kind of things to get there, you know. Let, let's uh, let's load kids up and just uh, get them dunked in the in the water and just count numbers. Let's just see how many people are breathing on a mirror. Okay, you're safe. Let's dunk you in. And then what happens is we manipulate the numbers in order to have a means to an end. Well, and I can just hear pastors. And I know several, and uh, and I think their heart is right, but I think the mindset has got to shift. But I can just hear them saying, well, the only reason you're saying this, the only reason that burn people out is because they're, they're not a strong enough leader. Mm. And I believe there is absolutely no room for that garbage thinking. Uh, I just think it's totally wrong. It's totally wrong. What do you mean by that? Like, I think leadership in the mind of some of these numbers-focused leaders— where the number is the end goal, essentially, which none of them would say that. But I think when that is the end goal, they would say, if if it's tough for you to see growing number over number over number, then it's because you're a weak leader. It's huh. not because you're not. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Well, that, and here's the thing, though. Let, let's be honest. The greatest pastor shepherd who's ever walked the planet, he had the greatest oratory skills in the world. He could debate rhetoric and, 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 and have rhetorical debates with any of the greatest leaders of the world. He could raise the dead, walk on water, feed. Listen, if you're out of dinner for the potluck Sunday gathering, Jesus could multiply catfish po'boys on demand. I mean, I love I love that. Right? That's an event that could draw some crowds. <laughs> Think about it. And I'm from New Orleans, so I love catfish po'boys. But anyway, the, the reality is at the end of Jesus's ministry, he didn't grow a mega church. Right. He had 120 people in Acts chapter 1. Now, I don't know about you. Outreach Magazine is not doing a fastest growing story Fast, on that. Fa- <laughs> <laughs> that number is not going to make the list. Well, and I'm not saying I'm not discounting the ministry of Jesus, but here when I hear what I'm saying. Jesus knew the power of investing in a few. 
He knew the power that if he could, he knew the impact of getting a few people passionate about the gospel, deep in their spiritual walk, they could change the world. And because of those 12, we're sitting here today. Well, and and that's the irony. If you invest in those few to do biblical discipleship, the numbers will exponentially blow away any kind of evangelistic only mindset. Oh, man. If you look at the numbers, it, you know, you've got this in uh, in the book Growing Up. You know, if you lead someone to Christ every day for a year, 365 decisions, 365 people reached. Yeah. Um, magnify that out over years, it's 365 stacking on itself every year. But if you disciple a group of three and you're looking at that multiplication, every year it's multiplying. Within, I think it's eight years, you're you're reaching uh, 65 million. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the math is staggering. If we do biblical multiplying By 30 years, you've reached the whole world multiple times but over. But we're impatient. We're impatient, yeah. and we want to see today's results in today's auditorium with those numbers. Well, and I'll just say one more point before we move on. The, the previous two churches I've had the privilege of pastoring, we have never focused on numbers for the sake of numbers, meaning I've never gone in and said, guys, we need to grow to X amount of, of attendance. We need, to, we need to have X amount of people worshiping weekly with us. But I'll tell you this, when we focused on making disciples and investing in people, we grew numerically and grew to the largest numbers the church had ever seen in the history of the churches. Now, I'm not saying that to boast in us, but here's right. what I'm saying. When we focused on people, over programs and over, uh, p- p- and we focus on people over numbers. What happened, or we had a process o- over over programs. What happens is we did both. Right. You know, if you seek to grow a church, you may rarely produce disciples. Right. Watch this. But if you seek to grow disciples, you always grow the church. Wow. Let's move on. Number I think we four. need to move on. We're, yeah, we're going to run out of time. But that, we, could, we could talk about that one probably for multiple podcasts, but let's move on. Uh, number four, unexpected benefits. Oh, I'll just say quickly on this one. One of the unexpected benefits that we found in disciple making is the, is the maturity and the longevity and endurance in ministry of the person investing in the other person. See, we always, and here's what I mean by that. We always think that we're going to disciple a group of people and we're going to give them a benefit and a blessing, which is in a sense true. But you as the leader will get blessed beyond your wildest imagination. You know, in ministry, when you start out, you want to change the world. You think, man, I want to go. I'd love, Lord, let me preach here. Let me speak here. Let me sing here. Let me lead this organization. Let me lead this ministry. Let me pastor this size church. But I'm telling you, Chris, and I have degrees in preaching. I love preaching. But there's no greater joy for me than to see someone I've personally invested in go on and do great things for Christ, to go on their first mission trip, to share the gospel with a person for the first time, which normally happens in every group, to disciple their kids, to love their wife, to have them come in weeping, saying, my marriage was hanging on by a thread, Robbie, but now it's restored. That's the first benefit. The second one is this. I can't put my finger on it, but I can I can tell you, and I haven't done the research personally, but I can tell you, most of the men who fall in ministry, most of the women, I would say, have not been in an intentional, systematic discipling relationship. See, what we found over time is that pastors get sidetracked in the ministry. They fall away from reading the Bible. They fall away from scripture memory. Listen, if I didn't have God, brother, pastor, leader, listen to me if you're listening. 
I can I can assume you're not re- memorizing scripture weekly. I can also assume you're not even reading the Bible systematically. You know how I know that? Because it happened to me. Listen, if I didn't have somebody, Chris, looking me face to face, eyeball to eyeball every week and saying, Robbie, are you reading the F260 this week? Share share with me your here journal. I, w- I probably wouldn't do it. You? No, absolutely not. It, and, and let's take it a step further. We're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount with my discipleship group right now. Right. Okay, We're already through chapter five. Godly. We're already into chapter six. I'm up to the uh, verse nine. Uh, and when you pray, pray like this. Our Father uh, in heaven, honored be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil. And that's where we are, are right now. Okay, here's the deal. If I wouldn't have guys holding me accountable, mm-hmm. I, w- I wouldn't do it. Yeah. And that's the reason if you're listening, you're not doing it. Now think about this. And we know this from the research. Bible engagement is the number one spiritual discipline to engage in, and it's superior to every other discipline if you're going to engage in one. Right. When Howard Hendricks polled pastors who fell years ago for in the ministry, they admitted by their own admission that they had gotten away from a regular, quiet time in the Word with God. Yeah. All of them. So if we want to curb pastors falling in the ministry, pastors of immorality, women falling in the ministry... Let's get them in the word until the word gets into them. That's one of the surprising, unexpected benefits of discipleship. And, and I think if people knew them, which is obviously why we're saying this, there would be more discipleship. And that's one of the reasons it's not happening is because people don't realize these benefits are there. Let's move in and wrap it up with the final of the five reasons we aren't making disciples. Are, I can't believe we made it. We finally made it. We made it. We've, we've tried to elaborate more and more. We're, we're we're pushing back. We're, we're going to end it this week. You told me before uh, we started, we had to get through it. I'd talk about these all, all week. I was but. thinking we may need to rename the podcast why we aren't making disciples. And just, I mean, it's going to be long. But I feel like people want solutions. So we're trying to offer solutions. We're trying to offer yep. insights. We're trying to offer encouragement. Yep. Um, and so we want to make this, this will be, end up being a three-part series. But the final one is unorganized priorities. Ooh. And so how are leaders perhaps churches, um, they're not making disciples potentially because of unorganized priorities. If you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. And most pastors, uh, and, and okay, so here's what, here's what good leaders do. They go into an organization, they go into a church, they go into a ministry, they do three things. They define reality, okay? We talked about this. Define reality. Defining reality is the idea that you're going to see exactly what's happening in your organizations. If you walk into most churches today, I can assume they're not making disciples the way Jesus expected. Biblical, mature, reproducing, intentional, accountable disciples. Not happening in most churches, okay? So you can assume that going in. So when you define reality, you say, this is where we are. Secondly, you determine a destination. So you say, okay, this is where we are, but this is where we want to go. We want to create healthy, reproducible, maturing, investing, accountable disciples who are investing in others. And you, and you determine the destination. But here's the third thing. You have to develop a plan of action. The plan of action is more than a pithy mission statement. We want to reach the lost at all costs for the glory of God. Right. 
Sounds great. We do. We do want to do that. No, no, we do. No, we, we definitely yeah. want to do that. <laughs> but the question is, how do you do that? Right. We want to share the gospel with every person we see. Praise God. But how do you do that? Right. We want to make disciples who make disciples make great. How do you do that? So you have to develop a plan of action. So I think with with most with most leaders, you have these unorganized priorities, meaning when you try to do everything good, you won't be able to do anything great. Mm. Okay. When you try to do a bunch of things good, I mean, this is Jim Collins all over again, good to great. The enemy of great is good. When we try to do a a lot of things good, because there's a, listen, you could justify a lot of good things in the world today, man, I want to do a lot of good things for God. And that's great. But I've found if we can do a few things really well, and we move people, and one thing's worthy of doing well, the one thing worthy right. of doing well is making disciple makers who make disciple makers. So yeah. pa- here's what I'd say. If you're a pastor or a leader, or if you're a, a follower of Christ, mm-hmm. how can you develop priorities in your life? How can you develop processes in your life where you clear out the things that distract you? Mm-hmm. I think Albert Einstein was the one who said, perfection is getting rid of everything that gets in the way of doing the one thing well. That's that's when you're at perfection. So when you you clear the calendar of your life from the things that distract you. I, I met with Erwin Lutzer years ago. I was a new pastor at Brainerd Baptist Church. Erwin Lutzer, who was at Moody Church, you may remember him. He was a friend of uh, of a friend of mine, and we were eating breakfast. I was just just getting to Brainerd, and he sat down with me, and he said, Robbie. What is the one thing, brother, you can do that no one can do at your church? Hmm. I thought that's that's a good question. I said, uh, uh, I, don't, I guess preach the word. I guess that's what God's called me to do is to preach the word and and make disciples. He said, exactly. He said, if you get sidetracked in, in your church with doing things other people can do better than you then the one thing you can do or the one or two things you can do is going to suffer. And he says, here's what's happened. Here's what's going to happen. People are going to judge the success or effectiveness on your church based on how well you're doing the one thing you can do. And if that suffers, then everything's going to suffer. Pastor, here's what a uh, leader, here's what I want you to think about. What is the one thing that you and I need to be doing? And it may be more than one thing for me. It's preaching the word and making disciples, investing in people, and preaching the word publicly. So I would say you need to decide what are those things. I would put them in order, Chris, and then I would look at your schedule and see how your schedule lends itself to doing those things. So for me, discipleship is a priority. Every Wednesday night, I'm in my office with a group of men. Candy, my wife's in the other office next door, and she's with the wives of the men, and we meet every Wednesday night, unless I'm out of town or there's an emergency, we don't miss. Yeah. It's a priority sure. in our life. Right, and, and I think ultimately, when you look at ministers, they step into a new ministry role, or they step into an old ministry role, whatever it is, they're looking at, at the, everything across the board, and they're thinking, okay, how do we move the needle in a positive direction? And positive direction can be defined as more people uh, or, or more funds or more attendance or more decisions, whatever that is. We're saying that the priority of that needle needs to be 
making disciples. Yes. And uh, specifically looking at your ministry, as you said, and looking at the calendar, looking at your time and saying, how am I making that first? Yeah. Well, Jesus, I, I, I put this online the other day and some people commented. I, I put online that Jesus never commanded us to plant churches. Jesus never commanded us to make converts. Jesus never commanded us to revitalize a church. He never commanded us to pastor a church. He never commanded us to make decisions or even make Christians. He commanded us to make disciples. And so that command trumps the call to pastoral ministry, meaning Jesus has commanded us to make disciples before he even commanded us to go in. And somebody said, well, what about first Peter shepherd the flock of God? That's true. But Jesus never commanded that. Now, I'm not saying Jesus doesn't want us to pastor and plant churches, but what I'm saying is the command to make disciples trumps trumps all these peripheral things that we can engage in. So what that means is at the end of our life, when we stand before the great judge who will do all right, I believe Jesus's first words to us will be his final words before he left. How well did you go there for and make disciples? And I, I think all of us are going to have to give an account for that. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.